Uh, you can open up your Bible, if you have one, to the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, that's where we have been the last few weeks. That's where we're going to be mostly, uh, with some exceptions, for the next even several months. This is a long book, and we typically just work our way through books of the Bible. So we're up to the end of chapter 2, the second half of chapter 2, and we're going to go through all of chapter 3 this morning. And so you can pray for me, even as I preach, that uh, we could be efficient, but that the Lord would help us to see the glories that are in uh, this passage. I don't know how many of you are on Twitter very frequently. That's not always the greatest place to be, the most uplifting. But uh, one thing I remember from a couple weeks ago is, is being kind of confused when I saw a tweet uh, from, I think it was from the Warsaw football team account. Uh, and I knew it was a couple weeks deep into the season and I thought they had been doing pretty well. And I was just trying to see what, how they had done that night. And it said something to the effect of that it was a great night. We're one and oh which basically means one victory, no loss. I, was, I thought, that is weird. I know they've played a couple games already, so I look back at the schedule, and indeed they had, and I forget what their record was, like two and one or three and one or something like that. But then I've noticed as the season's gone on, every single week when they win, whoever is managing that account says, we went, we're one and oh. One and out, like one loss, or one win, no losses. They even did this Friday night. They said we left the crowd uh, with uh, one and like we're one and oh. And I, I was thinking, why are they doing that? And I think if I'm getting into the psychology of maybe what the coaching staff is or whoever's managing their Twitter account, I think they're doing what a lot of coaches sometimes do. There's kind of a common thing with athletics, which I am far from an athlete, but I know enough of being around it that coaches often will try with their players to to teach them to like forget the games that have already happened like hey that is in the past like that was last week that was uh, a couple weeks ago try to forget that put it out of your mind we have this game now we have this meet right now today just focus on today and one on their team to focus squarely on the present I think that's what that that football team is trying to do we're either going to be one and oh or oh and one at the end of today and they're forgetting the record trying to teach their their players to forget the previous events, the previous games. And this also made me think of one other cultural reference, which I cannot give a full endorsement to this show, but some of you have watched a show called Ted Lasso recently. It's on Apple TV. It's about a fictional soccer coach uh, uh, played by Jason Sudeikis. And he has this famous scene in one of the early episodes where uh, he's trying to encourage this player named Sam, who's uh, just down on himself, has been just stewing and how bad he's been doing as a player, things like that. And Ted Lasso, he's kind of a goofy character. Uh, he comes up to Sam, who's kind of dejected, and he says, Sam, I won't even try to do his accent, uh, but he says, kind of in like a southern draw, he says, Sam, do you know what the happiest animal on the planet is? And he doesn't even let him answer. He says, a goldfish. And do you know why? And the guy just looks at him kind of confused, like with this odd look on his face and says, no. And in telling him about the goldfish, he says, it's got a 10-second memory. Be a goldfish, Sam. That's what he tells him. Be a goldfish. That's, I fact-checked that. That's not actually correct. They have longer memories than that. Uh, but his point was uh, to try to forget all this stuff. Yeah, you've been screwing up. You've had some mistakes. You've been deficient. But forget it. Put it behind you. Just face the next thing, the next game, the next match, the next, in military, they may talk like we're going to see today, the next battle. Try to forget what's behind. But we all know, even when we hear things like that, and we know what coaches are getting after, what bosses may be getting after, commanders may be getting after, we know what they're trying to communicate, but we are not goldfish, are we? 
Like we're humans and we were made to remember. Like that's how God made us was to remember things, to not just have them uh, fall out of the back of our mind. We were made to remember. Our brains are not just like hard drives that can be wiped clean, right? Uh, that, that where data can just be removed. We have memories. God made us to have memories. And our memories, they color how we anticipate the future, don't they? Uh, the things that we recall, whether recent or long ago, those memories, we can't ignore them. They're there. They color how we're going to look at the future, how we anticipate and the irony of those same coaches who say, just focus on now, is they're all watching game film the next morning after a game, right? They're all looking back at what's taking place to try to prepare. And so it's a charade. Like we all remember. The question is, do we remember well? And do we take those memories and use them to compel trust, to compel obedience in the future? And that's what we're going to see this morning in the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to see Moses speaking to the nation of Israel. He's, like I mentioned before, he's, they're standing essentially, if you want to think of it this way, on the banks of the Jordan River ready to finally cross cross into the promised land and to enter the fight of their lives uh, to, to con- for, of conquest, to take over these cities, to face these uh, people and villages that are strong. Uh, they're about to enter into their fight of their lives against the Canaanites. And Moses, as we're going to see throughout Deuteronomy, rather than calling them to be goldfish and to forget the past, to, to place it out of their mind, he's actually drawing their attention squarely to it, saying, you need to remember this. Like, you need to remember what has taken place. Uh, and he's going to point them, we're going to see, to some really actual recent things, things that they certainly would have remembered, but he's telling them, remember that. Like, I know you remember it, but really remember it. Pay attention to it. And he's going to recount some really recent victories that God has given them even in battle. And he's going to point them to do that. And I, I hope and my, my trust is that God is going to teach us in very similar ways to do very similar things ourselves as a people of God today. That he's going to draw our attention to victories, tastes of victory he's given us even in our lives that we can recall, that we can purposefully focus on uh, and recall so that we can anticipate the future rightly, so we can have a strengthened trust in him. Uh, we're not O and O. God has given us victories that are important to remember. And so I want to read this text. We're not, I am not going to, this week, I'm not going to read this whole thing all at once. Some weeks we'll do that. We are taking some long, long chunks of the Bible to work through. So we're going to start at 226 of Deuteronomy, and we're going to go all the way to the end of chapter 3, through this sermon. It takes numerous minutes just to read this, so I'm going to break it up into chunks and then make some comments along the way. Particularly when we get to it, what we're going to focus on mainly is going to be in chapter 3, actually, verses 21 and 22. Some things that Moses directly says to Joshua, but we'll get there in several minutes. But I want to start back at 2.26. I'm going to read through Starting there, read through chapter 3, verse 11. So this in itself will be quite a chunk. But I encourage you to to tune in. You're going to see two scenes, basically, that he's reminding the people of Israel of two battles, two victories that God has really recently given to them. And he's going to point their attention back to it. So that he's recalling this, these victories to the people of Israel. Starting in 2.26. He says, So I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kedemoth to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, with words of peace, saying, Let me pass through your land. I'll go only by the road. I'll turn aside neither to the right nor to the left. You shall sell me food for money that I may eat and give me water for money that I may drink. Only let me pass through on foot, as the sons of Esau who live in Seir and the Moabites who live in Ar did for me, until I go over the Jordan into the land that the Lord our God is giving to us. 
But Sihon, the king of Heshbon, would not let us pass by him. For the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate, that he might give him into your hand as he is this day. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I've begun to give Sihon and his land over to you. Begin to take possession that you may occupy his land. Then Sihon came out against us, he and all his people, to battle at Jahaz. And the Lord our God gave him over to us, and we defeated him and his sons and all his people. And we captured all his cities at that time and devoted to destruction every city, men, women, and children. We left no survivors. Only the livestock we took as spoil for ourselves with the plunder of the cities that we captured from Arawer, which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon, and from the city that is in the valley as far as Gilead. There was not a city too high for us. The Lord our God gave all into our hands. Only to the land of the sons of Ammon you did not draw near. That is, to all the banks of the river Jabbok and the cities of the hill country, whatever the Lord our God had forbidden us. And this is going to be victory number two, chapter three. Then we turned and went up the way to Bashan. And Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us, he and all his people, to battle at Edre. But the Lord said to me, Do not fear him, for I have given him and all his people and his land into your hand. And you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon. So the Lord our God gave into our hand Og also, the king of Bashan, and all his people, and we struck him down until he had no survivor left. And we took all his cities at that time. There was not a city that we did not take from them. Sixty cities, the whole region of the Argov, the kingdom of Og and Bashan. All these were cities fortified with high walls, gates, and bars, besides very many unwalled villages. And we devoted them to destruction as we did to Sihon, the king of Heshbon, devoting to destruction every city, men, women, and children. But all the livestock and the spoil of the cities we took as our plunder, so we took the land at that time out of the hand of the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, from the valley of the Arnon to Mount Hermon. The Sidonians call Hermon Sirion, while the Amorites call it Sinir. All the cities of the tableland, and all Gilead and all Bashan, as far as Salica and, uh, and Edre, cities of the kingdom of Og and Bashan. For only Og the king of Bashan was left of the remnant of the Rephaim, Behold, his bed was a bed of iron. Is it not in Rabbah of the Ammonites? Nine cubits was its length, and four cubits its breadth, according to the common cubit. We're going to pause there. That's a lot to try to cover. Uh, I want to try to, to, in pausing there, point you to uh, some things in this text that are important to help us understand what the history is Moses is recalling for them. It would have been stuff really recent for them. A lot of it may be lost in us. There's no way we can cover all the details in here. But I want to put a map up here. Uh, This is a similar version to the map we saw last week of some of the lands that God had told them as they were getting ready to go into Canaan to not take over. Uh, Like the red, the brown, and the the goldish color were lands he had told them specifically don't take those. Uh, The land that's more like in the blue or purple that you see that kind of is like a weird shaped sea. Uh, uh, That is the land that they fought for here. Uh, The land that was ruled by the kings named Sihon and Og. And so I want to point out a few things to you from this text that we just read that could be lost on us but are really important to understand what was going on. In this text, what, in what the events that it's referring to, what we see happening was that God was giving the nation of Israel some early and unanticipated victories. 
on some early and unanticipated victories and land to go with it, places that they could dwell in then from then on. Uh, God's initial promise, if you're familiar, there's a reason we call that green land uh, of Canaan the promised land. You hear that term a lot. The reason it's called that is because God promised that specific land to Abraham and to all his descendants who become the nation of Israel. God had promised them the land in the green there. That's what they were expecting. That's what they were anticipating. You can go back and read Genesis 12, uh, if you want to read more about that. That's what God had initially promised to them. And that's what the nation of Israel, I think, would have been expecting to conquer. As God's finally bringing them out of the wilderness, about to take them to that land of promise, they would have expected that we're going to fight for the green on this map. Granted, they might not have had maps like we do, but that's, what, that's the land they would have been thinking of, the, the land of promise. You even see an allusion to this. Look at verse 29, okay? As Moses is confronting this first king, he says at the end of that verse, he, he's asking him to let them go by, and he says, until I go over the Jordan into the land that the Lord our God is giving to us. So they're on the east side of that Jordan River, kind of runs on the east side of that green territory of Canaan. They're standing, as he's saying this, on the east side of that. And what Moses and the people would have been anticipating is that we're going to sometime soon cross over that and go into the green territory. And that's who we're going to fight But God, surprisingly, gives territory to them on the east side of the Jordan River. He says, like, before I give you all that, before I I have you guys go in and fight there and win those fights, I'm going to, it's like bonus land, so to speak, like, that he's giving them this extra even beyond what was initially promised. And so God is giving them victories over King Sihon and King Og, just back to back. And this is a a land outside of the Jordan, beyond the Jordan. Sometimes you'll hear people refer to this land, they call it the Transjordan. It's like the beyond the Jordan, outside of it, it's this land that God gave them unanticipated and gave them early, even before he gave them the full version of Canaan. And in this text, as they go against these kings, a couple things I want to note of what actually took place and how it happened. First thing I want to note is that the Israelites, these people that Moses was leading, they are not, contrary to some people's depictions today and what even some statements in this text today may surface, they were not these just bloodthirsty savages. Far from it. You can see a couple indicators even in this text. Uh, If you look at the verse 27, or verse 26, the very first verse of what we read, as they come to this first king in his land, Sihon, the first thing they do is they come to, Moses sends messengers with words of peace. He's he's not just coming guns blazing saying, let's throw down, let's fight, like bring it on. He's coming first with words of peace, and then Sihon is the one who rejects that. Right? Sihon is the one who comes out and fights against him. Uh, if you look at verse 32 of chapter 2, uh, Sihon is the one who, to use little kid's language, who starts it. Right? Uh, he's the one who starts the battle, starts the fight. And the same thing is true of King Og. It just cuts to the chase at the start of chapter 3 that Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us, he and all his people. So the, the fights are begun, the battles are begun by these other nations. And the, the nation of Israel, they're not just trying to grab every piece of land, take on every group that they can. There were three peoples that they did not fight, right? They're not just looking for fights to pick. They are going where God directs them. They are entering into fights that God tells them to fight in, right? You even see in verse 37, the last verse of chapter 2, that only to the land of the sons of Ammon you did not draw near. 
And then he says, he calls that land whatever God had forbidden us. So they knew there's certain land God said, do not fight for this, but do fight for this. And so they were following the directives of God, not just the drives of their anger or hearts, right? They're not these bloodthirsty savages. I would know, and I'm not trying to dodge this, but I will say, in a, in a sense, I'm going to punt to later in the book to talk about this. But there are some hard things in here, isn't there, about them as they come into these cities of them killing not just men, but killing women and children. That is a hard thing for us any age probably to hear, but especially in our modern age. Uh, there is a lot actually about this later in Deuteronomy where it's more focused on that. Look, read chapter 20 if you want a, a thick text to go through where even these things are commanded uh, as they go into the green territory more and more. We will talk way more in depth about that when we get later in the book. And I think that there are good answers. They may not fully settle our heart. But I would note just to dispel any illusions that these nations... These were these Canaanite nations in the green and then those that had moved into these blue territory were not righteous people. Like they were not noble, wonderful, godly people. And if you want just one example of that, go back and read the initial promise to Abraham. Uh, God tells him that it's going to be a long time till it gets fulfilled, the giving of this land. And he tells him that it won't happen until the unrighteousness of the Canaanites is fulfilled fulfilled or complete like God God saw these nations and he uses Israel as a judgment against them just like later he'll use nations as a judgment against Israel so they're not bloodthirsty and note too think about this they are not a trained army but God gives them these just routes like gives them these huge victories these huge swaths of land he gives them uh, the, against formidable opponents uh, this ragtag group of people who was a large nation yes but they had lived in the wilderness for four decades right they didn't have military bases or training grounds or cities where they could store things and, and bases from which they could deploy they had never fought fights they had never fought battles but God all of a sudden when they come into these gives them victory that's a sign that this is God fighting. He is the one who is going with them, giving them victory over these opponents. So God gives this, them huge victories. And I would note the plural of that, victories. That's, I think, an important thing that we could miss. If God would have just given them one victory over Sihon, they could have easily thought, man, that was a fluke. We caught, caught him at a bad day. He kind of got too big for his britches coming out after us and we surprised him or we had this tactic or whatever and we were clever. Or they could have analyzed it any way they wanted to just think that was an anomaly. That was something that just was random, will probably not happen again when we go into the green and we have to fight against these people. But it is a kindness of God, I think, that he gave them two victories right? That he starts to show that this is a pattern, right? Not an anomaly, that this is a feature, not a bug. That this is something he's going to continue to do. It wasn't accidental that they won. And you can see there's like, because there's one victory and then another, that as these victories build, there's anticipation that more victory will come, right? One victory, going 1-0 and legitimately, gives you confidence that as you uh, fight again, that you may be 2-0. and And when you're 2-0, and you grow in confidence, you may be 3-0. and It's like a wave. You see that even at the start of chapter 3, a hint of that, right? When God speaks to Moses in chapter 3, verse 2, he says to him, Do not fear this King Og, for I have given him and all his people and his land into your hand. You shall do to him as you did to Sihon, the king of the Amorites. Right? And so he knows Moses just led these people and they beat Sihon. And he's reminding him, hey, just like you won that one, you're going to win against Og. 
And it's like this wave of momentum growing of victories that, that God is giving to them, victories over enemies that they would have had no business going up against, let alone defeating. It's like God is saying, see what I've done, anticipate what I'll do, right? Like the, I have given you these victories, just wait to see what I can do now. It's like him giving them these early proofs, right? And so Moses recounted for them these battles that they had just entered into, but he he wants them to not forget it, that God has given us this bonus land. He's given us these early, unanticipated victories, even outside the land of promise. But next we're going to read in this next section, I'm going to read from verses 12 to 22 of chapter 3. We're going to read what they did with that land. So it it hadn't been anticipated. Uh, It was was like this bonus, gracious victories that God gave to them over Sihon and Og, but we're going to read what he did what they did with these lands how they divvied them up so to speak and so follow along with me i'm going to read from 12 to 22 of chapter 3 so moses continues his recollecting his uh, remembering of these events by saying this he says when we took possession of this land at that time i gave to the reubenites and to the gadites the territory beginning at arrowware which is on the edge of the valley of the arnon and half the hill country of Gilead with its cities. The rest of Gilead and all Bashan, the kingdom of Og, that is, all the region of the Argov, I gave it to the half-tribe of Manasseh. All that portion of Bashan is called the land of Rephaim. Jair, the Manassite, took all the region of Argov, that is, Bashan, as far as the border of the Geshurites and the Machthites, and called the villages after his own name, Havoth Jair, as it is to this day. To Machir I gave Gilead, and to the Reubenites and the Gadites I gave the territory from Gilead as far as the valley of the Arnon, with the middle of the valley as a border, as far over as the river Jabbok, the border of the Ammonites. The Arabah also, with the Jordan as the border, from Chenereth as far as the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, under the slopes of Pisgah on the east. And I commanded you at that time, saying, The Lord your God has given you this land to possess All your men of valor shall cross over armed before your brothers, the people of Israel. Only your wives, your little ones, and your livestock, I know that you have much livestock, shall remain in the cities that I have given you until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as to you, and they also occupy the land that the Lord your God gives them beyond the Jordan. Then each of you may return to his possession which I have given you, And I commanded Joshua at that time, these are the verses we'll focus on. I commanded Joshua at that time, your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms into which you are crossing. You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. We'll read the last paragraph here in a a few minutes, but I want to explain what they did with this land and then want to zero in on those words that Moses spoke directly to Joshua. They they have a lot of significance and impact, I think, even upon us today. I have another map. It's very similar, um, but uh, Moses is describing here how they gave, how they divvied up the land. Uh, So there had been this unexpected blessing, these unexpected victories, these gracious gifts of God to them. And and he's recounting here, there's no way I have time to go through and tell you what all these locations are and and where they all are. But but the basic gist of of what you just heard him recounting is he's kind of starting at the southernmost land and then moving up toward the north. That would have been the order in which they took the land, right? And he's telling them that they took that land and they divide it up amongst these 
the, the nation of Israel was divided into these tribes, right? Named after mostly by the sons of Jacob, the, whose name was Israel, right? They were divided in these tribes. And Moses gives some of this early land to two and a half tribes. Why it's a half would take way too long. You can look that up. But to two and a half tribes, he designates this land for, to be their resting place, to be for then on the, the place that they live, that their families, their generations coming behind them would live and dwell. And so he, he says that those southern lands that had belonged to Sihon, that's where his name had been on the last map, that he gave to the tribes of Reuben and Gad. And then that, that northern land that had belonged to the king named Og, he gave to that half-tribe of Manasseh. And so he's reminding them of that, that, hey, we divided that land amongst you. But then he reminds them, especially the men who belong to those two and a half tribes, it's like he's wanting them to know, you all don't get too settled into these lands. Like you are going to go over with the other tribes who are about to cross the Jordan and go in and fight the, the green territory and all the people in there. You all are going with like I've given, you've already received your rest in some ways, but you all are going to go fight with them. You are expected, just like they fought for your land that you have now, you're going to go with them and fight for theirs. And, and I love that. I want to pause for just a second on that because I think it's a, a beautiful thing that we can learn from as the people of God today. Uh, as we hear Moses saying, you all go fight with them. Like you're going to go into the land with them. A few practical things. One is that the, as the people of God, we should recognize and celebrate the unity that we have even with other groups of Christians, right? Like it's, we're going to see as Old Testament history unfolds, it's tempting for them to divide into these tribes and become factional and think, well, they're the Transjordan people. We're like the real Canaan proper people. Uh, and like to start having these tensions Moses and God, more importantly, wanted from the very beginning these people to know their bondedness as a nation of Israel. To know before they're a Gadite or a Reubenite that they're an Israelite, right? And, and that is important for us as the new covenant people of God to not just think, I'm a member of CCC or I'm a charismatic or I'm a Calvinist or whatever the label is that we attach to ourselves and let that be the front thing that we lead with but to say I am a Christian like I am a brother or sister with all these people who believe the gospel that have been saved by Christ that is vital for us to remember and to to emphasize where we have unity and yes we have difference but to to celebrate the unity that we have and that should be important to us another thing we learned from that saying you all are going to go in and fight is that the, the progressing of salvation history is never done until Jesus returns. Uh, at this point in time, salvation history was still advancing, right? Uh, God had saved them uh, through the Exodus. He had led them in the wilderness. No Messiah had still come. No uh, land had yet been actually given. Salvation history was still slowly advancing toward the culmination of Jesus. But in some ways, Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben had already tasted some of the victories, and it could have been tempting for them to think, well, we've received our land. Like, for us, as far as we're considered, salvation history is good. Like, we don't need to be involved in helping try to advance it and being part of, of the, the gathering of the land and the, where the Messiah will eventually come. But God wanted them to know salvation history is still advancing, and you as my people are going to be part of it. You're going to be part of expanding. For, for them, it was fighting, going into a land to war. For us, it's 
not settling on the fact that the gospel has come to me. My heart has been changed. Praise God. Now I can just sit on my hands and just wait till Jesus comes. But we get, instead of going to fight, how we're involved in salvation history progressing is taking the gospel to people, taking it to our neighbors, taking it to our family members, our coworkers, taking it to the nations. The, the advancing of salvation history culminated in Christ, but it is not yet done. The gospel has not yet been given to and believed by all of God's elect. And that we are part of taking that to people. And we must never just sit on our hands because it's come to us. And rejoice in that and be glad. But always be active in advancing the mission of God until Christ returns. So that's a beautiful thing we could miss about this land being divided. And Moses saying, you all are going to go fight. Like, and you're going to be part of the nation of Israel together. But I said I want to focus on verses 21 and 22. Because here, Moses gives us a little glimpse in some things he said directly to Joshua, who was like his protege, who was going to become the leader of the nation of Israel heading in to the promised land. And I love this. I want to reread them to you and then talk about them for just a moment. It says that Moses commands Joshua at that time, and he says to Joshua, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms into which you're crossing. You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. This is an important thing. You see this theme of not being afraid over and over. Like as Deuteronomy gets closer to its end and as Joshua, the book of Joshua starts and the conquest of that green territory is about to start, you hear over and over, be courageous, don't be afraid, be courageous, don't be afraid. And Moses had been beating that drum with Joshua for a long time. It wasn't just a last minute thing at the end. He, he was telling him, uh, even here, to, to not be afraid because Moses knew that this, as they went into that green territory, as they went into these fortified cities and against these powerful kings and kingdoms he knew they were at minimum going to be tempted to fear right he knew that they were even joshua this brave man was going to be tempted to fear that's why he's having to tell them don't fear them don't be afraid because these people were in, were about the people who are hearing deuteronomy were about to enter into a dangerous quest weren't they one i think we could totally miss because we know the end of the story we know that they won like we they that was far from certain to them as they stood ready to cross this river and to go against these kings that, that was a far thing from certainty for them and this is a different thing in salvation history when when they come to this point in time because back at the time of the exodus God did some miraculous, amazing things to show his power and strength, but mostly he did it and they watched, right? Like he's the one who made the Red Sea part and they, yeah, they walked across it, but God himself, without the, the really working of his people, he did these miracles. He brought the plagues. He, he did it himself apart from the agency of these people, but now it's like something is different where, yes, God explicitly says he will fight for them. God's going to be the one giving the victory, but he does it through their fighting. Right? That is a very different thing uh, to trust God to do something on his own versus trusting him when my life is at risk, when, I'm a, when I could be slain by Og and Sihon and all their people or all these unknown Canaanites that we're going to go up against. That is a far different thing, and you can sympathize with them that the temptation they may have had to right? But Moses is telling Joshua, as the leader of these people, to not be afraid. He wants to help Joshua dispel the fear that may creep in his heart. And one of the ways that he does it right here in this short summary 
is that he reminds Joseph, or Joseph, excuse me, Joshua, of what his eyes have just seen. He's like wanting that to not be lost on him, and not just to move on, hey, now we're O and O, game on with Canaan. He's wanting them to know you're two and O. Like God has given you victories. He has shown you with your own eyes that he can enable you all to defeat people no one else thinks you could beat, to conquer enemies that no one would guess that you could. And he is pointing out to Joshua that God has given even Joshua himself fresh proof of his power. Like in his own life, seeing with his own eyes, he has shown him his power. He has shown him his favor. He has shown them his ability to give them victory, to give them, to give them a win. He, he, he says, your eyes have seen, right? Verse 21, your eyes, Joshua, have seen this take place. Joshua's eyes had seen some pretty cool, amazing things, right? Joshua's eyes had seen the Red Sea part. Joshua had walked across the bottom of the bank, or not just the bank, but the, the bottom of the Red Sea. He had seen the water go back over Pharaoh's chariots. He had seen manna on the ground for 40 years. Like he had seen the pillar of fire and smoke. Joshua's eyes had seen so many things for 40 years. But Moses wanted to remind him, God has given you another really recent thing for your eyes to see, Joshua. He has shown you that he can actually give victory. That he will. Joshua had believed that 40 years prior, right? He was one of the spies that had gone in and had reported, guys, we can do this. Like, God can help us be them. He had believed it 40 years prior, but he'd never actually seen it happen yet, had he? Like, he had seen the Red Sea part. He had not seen armies destroyed by Israelites. But now he had. And God had given him these little tastes of victory that he could see with his own eyes, things that were undeniable to him. And he wanted that to feed, to grow Joshua's confidence that more victories can come, that more victories will be given, right? And so he points them to these recent victories, these tastes of victory to fuel, to feed trust, right? And to combat fears that may creep in. And I think God wants to do very similar things with us because we, as the people of God, we in many ways are very, very similar to Joshua and to the Israelites who are being spoken to in Deuteronomy. We are tempted to fear. We will always be tempted to fear until Christ returns or we go to be with him. We all will be tempted to fear. Some of you may be facing some intense fears even right now, even this morning. We are people as human beings and even as believers, people who are prone to fear. And I can make a long list of things I have feared and things I speculate you may fear. There are things we fear in our life, things like Satan himself, right? We fear the forces of evil, we fear just general things like the unknowns of life, the uncertainties of life. We fear failing a test. We fear sickness. We fear disease of our own or others that we love. We fear uh, financial ruin. We fear rejection. We fear embarrassment. We fear coming to the end of our life and feeling like we've wasted it. We fear that our children may not come to faith. We fear aging, we fear conflict, we fear, fear our own capacity for evil and what we think we could become. We fear that I'm never going to conquer this sin that I'm struggling with and I fear that I'll never overcome it. There are so many things that we fear. 
And we struggle as Christians, even as mature Christians, we struggle at times to trust the Lord and have confidence to press on. To press on in fighting, to press on in trusting. We are no different. We struggle with fear and with confidence in the Lord. That he's with us, that he's for us, that he will care for us. We struggle to believe that, but the kindness of God, just like he gave things for Joshua to see with his own two eyes, is that God often in his kindness to us gives us things in our own lives, things we can see with our own eyes, things you have seen with your own two eyes. He gives us taste, he gives us glimpses of his victories of his ability to overcome things, his ability to deliver, his ability to provide for us. He demonstrates tangibly in our lives at times, if we would have eyes to see it and pay attention to it, he gives us taste, he gives us glimpses of victory. He shows his trustworthiness, he shows his strength, he shows his love for us. And I want to just give you a a short list of things that maybe you have seen with your own two eyes that you may forget But our glimpse is that I hope some of these at least God has done in your life to give you a taste of his power, to give you a taste of his favor, to give you a taste of his kindness. If you are a Christian in the room, think no further than your conversion. The fact that you trust Christ, the fact that you are here this morning worshiping him is a sign of God's power to save. That he has worked in your heart that other people may see and remember quicker and sooner than you do. God has changed your heart. Just like he hardened Sihon's heart, he has softened yours. And that is a miracle. That is a sign of his power and his grace and kindness. Do not forget that. That your conversion is a foretaste of the victory of God. Your sanctification, think back on your life, whether you think in recent months or you think of the whole scope of your life. Have there been sins in your life that used to be immense struggles Things that you would give into over and over and over again. Vices that marked you. But God has freed you from those things. God has delivered you. God has grown you. He has loosened their hold on you. He, he is developing you, sanctifying you. That is a visible, tangible sign of God's power to save. And God's power to overcome. God's power to overthrow Satan's rule. God's power to defeat enemies. That is a taste of it. Have you or someone that you know experienced any sort of healings in your life, whether physically, mentally? Have you seen God do things that were inexplicable in a person's life to to deliver them from cancer, to deliver them from mental struggles that, that they seemed entrapped in, but in his kindness he has freed them from those things? Have you seen God do those things? Those are glimpses, those are tastes God doesn't have to give to us, but he does. And that that are, are signs of his power to save, his power to overcome evil. Have you seen God in your life with your own two eyes reconcile broken relationships? Have you, I, I can name one of people who are dear to me. I did not ask them whether I could say it, so I won't. But people I love very much, who a couple of decades ago, I swore there was no way that they could ever be reconciled. But God in his kindness has. And he, he has brought them back together with love and grace towards each other. Not just forgetting the past and sweeping it under a rug, but forgiving one another and being for one another. If you, have you seen that take place in your life? Or in the relationships of other people that you know? If you have, your eyes have seen. 
Your mouth has tasted, metaphorically, a, a taste of the victory of God, the power of God to overcome evil, to fix what is broken. Have you had the Lord provide resources for you unexpectedly? The, the God has done that for us over and over again at different points in our life, sometimes with people we don't even know being generous towards us. God has provided things for us, and it's like him giving us this glimpse of undeserved, unexpected kindnesses of his provision, his attention. Have you ever had someone recently or long ago speak a very timely word to you? Something that, that unbeknownst to them, really you needed to hear. Something that they either were aware of in your life or a word that they spoke to you and that ministered to your soul in ways that they didn't even realize. Many of us in our church, we would often call that a gift of prophecy or a prophetic word that the Lord had someone share with you. That is an, a ministry of the Spirit. That is a, a taste of God showing his attention, him breaking in and showing you in undeniable ways that he's attentive to you, that he's for you. There are so many things, there are so many proofs, demonstrations that God gives to us that we can see with our own eyes if we have eyes to see it. Uh, of his ability to heal, his ability to overcome, his ability to deliver. And I would encourage you in your life as a Christian to pay attention to those things, to write them down, like to revisit them. Like we are so tempted to be like goldfish and just forget those things and just move on to the next thing, the next fear, the next obstacle in front of me and we forget the train of kindnesses, the, the train of, of things that God has shown us with our own tuned eyes that show his power, show his kindness, show his favor to us as his people. It's not just the facts of history that we should revisit, although we must always do that and will always do that. The, the facts of history that are recorded in the word, but also we should revisit the demonstrations that God has made in our own life. The things that we have seen that are not recorded in scripture, but the things he has shown us as a kindness to us to see. And those can fuel faith. They can, they can feed our faith. They can help combat the, the temptation, the discouragement and doubts that we face in our life. I am so looking forward this weekend coming up to the dinner that we're having Saturday night to honor Pastor Larry and Gladine for 40 years of service in the life of our church. One of the things I'm most excited about is to give people an opportunity to recount the ways that God has used them to minister to us. The way that God has given, even through their ministry, us a taste, us a glimpse of God's kindness to us. It has been fun to look through pictures and hear stories, and we should do that in our own lives and not just wait for 40th and anniversaries right but revisit the kindnesses of God the things he has shown us with our own two eyes those things can feed our faith they can grow our faith this chapter ends on an unexpected note that I want to read this last paragraph 23 to 29 make a few comments on it in closing because it ends kind of on an unexpected note Moses, this becomes a common theme through Deuteronomy. He's going to recount how he's actually not allowed to go into the green land. <laughs> he's not actually allowed to go into Canaan. But hear what happened after they had these two victories. It says he, give, he gives them actually information to a very, what seems like a very private conversation between him and God. But now he tells it to the people. He says, I pleaded with the Lord at that time saying, Oh Lord God, you've only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such work and mighty acts as yours? Please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that good hill country in Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, Enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. 
Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and look at it with your eyes, for you shall not go over this Jordan. But charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he shall go over at the head of this people, and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. So we remained in the valley opposite Beth Peor. Moses had these foretastes of victory. Uh, he had seen victories over Sihon and Og, and he saw these like bonus, gracious victories, unexpected victories. And it's like Moses for a moment, even though God had already told him, you're not going into the land, it's almost like he expects just this wave of mercy and grace to not stop. Like, God's going to, he's going to change his mind. Like, he's actually going to let me go into the land. He's going he's gonna to relent. He's going to show mercy to me. He's going to let me in. That becomes his expectation. But God firmly, kind of once and for all, says no. We know there's a different tone, right? Sometimes when a parent has told us no a couple times, and they tell like, no. Like, that's kind of what God is doing graciously and kindly to Moses here saying you are not going in and this is and Moses realizes in that moment I think no question I am dying outside of the land like God is not changing his mind like death is coming for me I'm not going to get to see the full gain and the beauty of this land and live in it and this chapter ends on a note I think that's helpful for us, even as we talk about tasting the victories that God gives and the sweet signs that he gives sometimes of his strength and power, because this is a reminder to us that we also need to have a faith that can deal with God's denials and our own death. Like when I tell you to look for victories that God gives you, I do not want you to expect that, yeah, God's just going to keep giving me everything I ask for. He's going to overcome every obstacle in my life. Every wall is going to be torn down. Every enemy before me is going to be destroyed in this life because that is not how God works. Like God sometimes says no. Like, and we all will have to face death just like Moses did before we enter our final resting place, right? We have to have a faith that can understand and make sense of those things. It's not just based on banking solely on what I've seen with my own two eyes, the kind things he's given to me in the here and now, we have to have a place that we can look that is more firm, more steady than that. Because what do we do when God says no? Like what do we do when God lets the sickness stay? Or when God says no to our requests for a spouse or a job or healing? Like what do we do when he says no? Do we have a faith that is strong enough and sturdy enough to still trust him? to still face the future with courage. And what I want to point you to, more than the signs God has done in your life, more than the glimpses, the foretaste of victory he's given in your life, is I want to point you to the same place every human being needs to look for the assurance of God's strength and his favor and his grace and mercy. And it is not to his healings of you, his providing of a wife for you, his, his kindness and helping you overcome sin. The place you should look Every day of your life is to the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus. That is where you look for assurance that God is for you. That is where you look for assurance of God's grace and his love and kindness to you. is isn't in the stuff he fixes in your life now, but as to what he did then. That is what Moses, I think, Moses, it would have been foggy to him out in the future uh, from him, but he knew salvation history was still moving toward a savior coming someday. He knew that God somehow would forgive him of his sin. 
I think he had confidence that somehow God would raise him up from the dead someday to go into Canaan or some land that was better. Moses had some fuzzy confidence in it because God had given him these early promises. We can see with crystal clarity how those things can be. Because the Savior that may have been foggy and out in the distance to Moses has now come. And he was born in the land of Canaan that they went in and conquered. His name is Jesus. And he is God the Son who became a human being. And he went toe-to-toe with enemies worse than Sihon and Og. He went toe-to-toe with Satan himself. And Jesus defeated him. Jesus obeyed God the Father perfectly. Jesus deserved no death. Jesus deserved no anger from God. He deserved no no from God the Father, right? But when he went to the cross, what Jesus was doing was he was taking our guilt, taking our sin upon himself. The things that should keep us out of Canaan, that should keep us out of God's promised land. Jesus bore those things on the cross like we celebrate in communion was killed on our behalf, was, was slain on our behalf. God's anger fully put on him so that it might be removed from us. And he was laid in a tomb. And on that Sunday morning, a couple of days later, God the Father raised him back up to show that he approved of that sacrifice, that he approved of his very son. And he raised him up, gave him a body that will never die again. And Jesus now is that resurrected Savior who died for us. He offers to us what he can grant us is that if we are united with him, if we become one with him, we, we turn from our sin, trust, place our trust totally in him and what he has done, he says that we can share in his reward, that we can be forgiven of our sin and that we can be granted that same reward that's now been given to Jesus of eternal life of resurrection, that someday we can be raised to live and to reign with him. And we can see that with crystal clear eyes that Moses couldn't. We can look back at the cross because that's already happened. God has demonstrated in an unquestionable way to us his grace, his mercy, his favor to all those who will come to him by faith. And so we have the good news that was foggy to Moses, was fuzzy to Moses. We have the good news of Jesus that can be the foundation of our faith. The glimpses we get of victories in this life can supplement that, can strengthen it, to, can bolster it. But even if God tells you no, even if you scan your life right now and like, I don't see victories in my life, you can look back at the cross and you can look back at the empty tomb for the, the fail proof, the, the unquestionable evidence and proof that God can forgive you and that God will be for you if you united with his son. Amen? And so we should look to, we should have, thinking of memory, we should have short-term and long-term memory, right? We should look to the short-term things, the glimpses that God has shown us in our life for encouragement, to, to feed our faith. But that's not enough. We need to have long-term memory of the cross and the empty tomb. That's where you go back for assurance that God is for us and that he's with us. Amen? I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing a wonderful song. Uh, it's an updated version of an old hymn called Blessed Assurance uh, that I grew up singing. We've sung it here before, but it's a little bit different tune than what you might be used to. Uh, but I want us to sing that together after I pray, uh, remembering where we should find our assurance. It's not just in the tangible expressions of God's victories that he gives us now. Those, those are helpful, but it's in the work that was done for, by Jesus on our behalf long ago. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the glimpses of victory that you give us in our lives today, the things that you are even doing right now in our lives to show your power, to show your kindness, to show your presence in our lives. I pray that we could grab onto those, that we could not forget those, 
that we could really savor them as, as foretastes of what future victories can come and what you may grant. But I pray more than that, that we would look well beyond the past of our own lives and that we would look back to the life of Christ. When we are tempted to fear, when we are tempted to doubt, when we are tempted to be discouraged, to be afraid of death, to be afraid of you even, I pray that we would look to the cross as that unmovable, unchanging, unquestionable sign of your love, your kindness, your favor to all those who are united with your son. And we pray this in his name. Amen.